Hey, are you in China? Are you looking for something to do uh, April 3rd to 5th? If so, you should check out the 2018 China International Game and Amusement Exhibition. It's being held April 3rd to 5th at the China Import and Export Fair Complex, Area A, Halls 1.1 to 8.1. You should check that out, if you're interested, at ChinaAmusement.com, and on Twitter, they're at ChinaAmusement. Again, that's ChinaAmusement.com, and at ChinaAmusement. Hi, I'm AJ, Jurgis there. That means that this is, again, Scene World. Podcast. Yes, what's happening? Well, a lot, actually. I'm just sitting here hanging out on on Q-Link, the Commodore users online, I don't know what they called it. Nobody will see it anyway, because this is an audio podcast. I know, I know, but I can still... I can hit keys and make sounds, like, so that they can pretend. Okay. You can see it, though, and that's what counts. Okay. Here I am a people connection. Yo, what's up, peeps? There's nobody there, but I just said it anyway. Okay. All right. That's so. what Next time we do a streaming thing, we should have, like, the online chat be on Q-Link. That would be, that would be stupid, but... The question is how many people will actually hang out there just for well, the live stream. Well, I mean, we can do a um, – Q-Link has an IRC client built into the people connection, the chat thing. Uh, if you just go to IRC and then the room name, it will connect to an IRC room. So we could actually just tell people go to this IRC room and then we'd be talking to them on Q-Link. And we could like stream that – the video of the C64 on there so it looks – so you can see like the Q-Link <laughs> – Interface and all that junk. Interesting idea. Yeah. Um, all right. Yes. So. Mm-hmm. In just a minute, we're going to be talking to Chester Colshan. He's the dude behind Sam's Journey and one of the, the big uh, games that have come out. And we may have alluded or hinted in the last podcast that we might be talking to him. And today we are. So w- w- that's in a minute. Before that, um, not too much news this, this time. Um but there is some update on the whole the video game high score drama that's happening over at Twin Galaxies. Exactly, yes. So, you know, um first there was this Todd Rogers actually uh, manip- manipulated all scores he ever did. Right. So they kicked him out of the database altogether and got rid of all his um of all his um scores. Has he said anything that- about this since it happened? Yeah, like, well, I'm not a pro gamer anymore. My life doesn't depend on it anymore. So, pff, who cares? I know that I did the scores. So, oh, okay. That's... Um, yeah. yeah, and then the thing is, you know, um, then there was like Billy Mitchell being accused of making his high score in Donkey Kong mm-hmm. based on a MAME emulator, right? Instead of real hardware. So. The thing is, you know, we both interviewed um, Billy Mitchell and also Richie, the king of arcades, Knuckles. And, um, well, you know, um, so the thing is, actually, I spoke to Richie Knuckles and uh, on the phone and he told me that that this cannot be true because 
Um, Bill and Mitchell is not only a role he plays, but he really has no idea about electronics emulators whatsoever. So okay. it simply cannot be that this was being achieved by using MAME. So I was actually talking to Richie, and in his opinion, it is possible that um, that there are different actings on the original Donkey Kong board, despite it's an original. It can yeah, still be that some what, timings are different and whatsoever. Right, because what I saw on from the post uh, where they were discussing the um, why they think it was a, was a cheat or why it wasn't an original game, I guess how the level initially displays things don't pop on screen all at once you know the it draws the the platforms it draws the sprites for whatever it draws this stuff and there's a specific order and speed that it goes at and when you compare an original game to the way that that a MAME implementation would do it compared to whatever else compared to whatever else they all do it slightly differently um and that's what they were basing their the accusation that he wasn't using actual hardware, but here's 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 another question though: is that what's it aside from that? Aside from just the fact that it redraws slightly differently, what's the deal? What's the big deal? It, it, say he did use he did use Mame, he did use an emulator, and he got a high score. He's still playing the game. It's not like it's not like he's speeding it up or slowing it down so he can do better. It's he's just it's still the game. It's just right. Am, am I, am I wrong about that? You're a bit wrong about that in, in that case that twin galaxies has separate scores for MAME and non MAME. So original arcade, okay. that's the main big deal here. So he says it could be just, um, depending on the revision of the board or whatever that, um, screen, he uses or whatever and that makes a different drawing so what is Billy uh, uh, Richie Richie Knuckles actually about to do is next week he wants to actually pin down the exact arcade that Billy Mitchell did the score on okay and then he wants to analyze it okay you know he he he, str he stressed the the fact during our phone call and on Facebook in his, on his personal um, on his personal Facebook page that he does not he does not declare himself to be the big expert and he knows everything about Donkey Kong or Kates, but he thinks that's a possibility and he, he doesn't see any chance that Billy Mitchell would have gained the knowledge by himself how to fire up. Mame you know, a good person to a good person to ask about that would be um, Todd Tucky from um, uh, TNT Amusements because he seems to know a lot of stuff about the different versions of of each arcade that came out, and if he might know that you know this version three from whenever of Donkey Kong draws it this certain way or, or something like that, because there's. But again. Okay, say someone took a MAME Im implementation and made a a um, a cabinet that plays Donkey Kong. 
He's still pl- again. Why? How? Why would that make a difference? Whether it's on real hardware or not? Because Donkey Kong plays totally different, and not not only by the way it draws, but also how how fast you can react, how fast you can control the characters using keyboard emulation or real arcade sticks. Okay. So that's also a matter of implementation, and. Um, that's the big deal here. So actually, Rich Knuckles is in the process of trying to pin down the exact arcade. Okay. Let's see if that is going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, because right. say someone did build a cabinet that's that houses the main implementation, it would be entirely possible that I mean maybe Billy Mitchell used it without even knowing he was using a main emulator version, right? I mean that's would be. You know, I it's just. I, I don't know. It seems to me that that if you played the game, even if you're not, you know, the other dude basically manipulated things and made up his scores. Like he, he they weren't possible. But if you still played through it, you still got the score. You still did, you know, you still played the thing. So mm. to me, I I don't feel like it would be it should be that big of a deal whether it's on original hardware. If if you used an emulator and then used that emulator's, um options to cheat to slow down the playing so that you can react better or to assist us right or, or or to pause it and go take a leak or something you know that's that's a different story but but if you're if you're playing it straight through you know there okay maybe there's minor you know differences to the to the average player those differences would be insignificant and not even noticeable well but we are talking here about professional Wow. E-gaming, so that's the difference here. Anyway, the other thing that was pointed out is also that the people who dig did dig the accusations and did what? dispute people the like... accusations oh. and did dispute the record yeah. were young people and maybe people of certain ages may not know exactly how the arcades work that's another thing that was pointed out and brought up okay uh, i mean i see it myself a lot of knowledge nowadays is getting lost because the new gener- generation simply doesn't know um but of course that doesn't mean that if you are young and you are digging your way into um, retro or a case that that you're not capable of getting it all but maybe um yeah the other thing that that always also surprised me you know uh, Todd Rogers for example in that case um it was also that David Crane was asked you know the co-founder of Activision and right. the creator of the game and he said himself despite the perfect run by by a tool assistant playing was 3 seconds longer than what Todd Rogers achieved, he still thinks it's possible. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's for me, it's a bit surprising that um, all those opinions by people who are around in this video game and arcade business since 20, 30, 40 years are quickly withdrawn. Like, well, he may, he might be an expert, but still, still not valid anyway well that's 
Well, that's a, I don't know. That's you talking about the the surprising. the founder of Activision saying that that maybe his assertion is incorrect or something. Um, but here's the thing: as as a coder, as a guy that ha- that can, if I code a game, I don't necessarily know what the what the the top score would be. You know, I I, I if I, if I made a racing game, I don't know what the best you could do is because as a coder, you're mostly making sure it works and. Okay, so it works, and and maybe someone can get a better score than than what you can. You you might be good at coding it, but not great at playing it. <laughs> okay. So, what is your opinion? Do 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 you really think this cheating trauma is a thing? I, I or do think you that, think that, I think that these that, disputes are just making up by people who have no idea what they are talking about? I think that there is. I, there's obviously going to be some cheating amongst some stuff, like the the Todd Rogers thing. All right, maybe he did. Um, well, he doesn't seem to be worried about disputing it or anything, which kind of makes you, you know, question whether he he, you know, I don't know if he if he came out and said that he didn't do it or or whatever. But, um, yeah, no, I definitely think there is a degree of cheating because people want people want to have the high score. And some people will do what they got to do to get it. I I don't know that Billy Mitchell would be one of those guys. I it doesn't seem like he doesn't strike me as the kind that would because his thing isn't. I don't know. Every you know having a high score is okay, but it's not. It, it's more just like look how good I am at it, and you know just the name draws from that. You don't need the the score, but. I I still don't think it's that big of a deal to um, worry about the the platform. You know, maybe maybe it's good to you know have separate have your separate categories, your main your main high scores, and then your your other high scores and and whatnot. So, and I, and I also think that a lot of the people that are complaining and are posting these analysis sometimes they can be dudes that just want to shake things up. You know. Mm. I want to be a pedant about it? That's two, that's two podcasts in a row. I've used that word. Anyway, um, it's also a fact that Brad Weiss, the collector, actually sold his personally signed Trackster's copy from the VCS of Trackster, signed by Todd Rogers for eight hundred euros on. Uh, so sorry, eight hundred dollars on eBay. Jeez, that's a lot of money for. The autograph of a guy I don't know who I've never heard of before. Well, he's he's the first professional league gamer. He actually was paid for for making records and stuff. Okay. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe it would be a good guest to talk to when the, all this thing has. Um, no, have one now before it's cooled down. While all this stuff is still. <laughs> It's still simmering, yeah. No, th- that would be great to have him on now because then we could dive into it. Then we could get, you know, I I would like that perspective of you know what he thinks of this. I mean, I mean, I mean, I've spoken to Billy Mitchell a couple of times. I mean, I know, I know, Richard Knuckles. We we know their thing, right? But Todd Rogers, we never spoke to. We also know that Billy Mitchell and 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 um, Richie Knuckles are buddies, so. Your buddy gets accused of cheating. You're gonna go out on a limb to try to defend him. Yeah, but really, uh, Richie Knuckles tries to see it more from the technical standpoint. 
-hmm. and he doesn't he doesn't see a possibility how how Billy Mitchell, who has no idea about electronics and computers and emulators, can gain this knowledge and cheat. Well, again, but you know the pictures that they showed of it was he was using a console. Or not a console, but a, but a cabinet. You know, he was on a, an arcade cabinet, and so it could have been a main implementation within a cabinet, because okay. it's easier to do that a lot of times than it is to go and find an old an old board and refurbish it and get it to work again. Maybe maybe he didn't open it up and checked it out. He probably didn't. I mean, it, and and even if he did, the dude doesn't know anything about electronics or any of that stuff. So what would it tell him? Uh, uh. You know, I mean, that's mm. that, we're just talking about how technologically inept he is, and and he opens the cabinet. It's wires and chips and stuff. That means nothing to him. Yeah. Well, we will see how this how this turns out. Yeah. Um. So the other news is, I got my analog super NT, and that is something we mentioned in a couple of podcasts before. Um. That was actually interesting because going back to the um, interview I did at the former Smith only museum with Chris Hulsbeck Super NT from Analog is um, a, a Super NES clone that um, sells for $189 and it's so special because it contains the director's cut of Turrican and that is special because what happened originally is that when the game was designed, it was too big for the memory on the uh, PCBs for the Super Nintendo cartridges. So actually what they did is they removed all that stuff, you know. So, and, um, so Analog Super, uh, Analog actually got the license from Factor 5 to do exclusively release the director's cut um, on their console built in in the ROM. Okay. So when you boot up the machine, you can actually select Turrican 2 or Turrican um, director's cut. Oh, okay. Or you can load down, or you can start uh, games from an SD card. It has a SD slot on it. Cool. ROMs, you know. Or you can actually plug in your cartridges. And I, I did a test with it. You know, there was this Unholy Night Super NES yes, game. Yes. You know, the first game being released after 19 years of no news commercially released SNES game. Yeah. SNES. And um, and the console can be switched between NTSC and Paul. And if I put it on this default, which is NTSC, because it's an American company, mm -hmm. the game doesn't even run. Wah, wah. Yeah. So if I put it on Paul, the game runs and you can play it. But sometimes the game crashes or the player sprites are just disappearing mm. during gameplay. Which means you cannot see who you are knocking over Christa. or where characters. And at this point, the game crashes again. <laughs> so it seems it's like um, okay compatible to already um, existing games, but it's not compatible very much to this new Unholy Night um, game, which is quite an unfortunate thing because 
what probably a lot of people would do is they get this latest game and the latest console and then they figure out they don't fit together. Yeah. So that's actually my experience with the Super NT. And, you know, a lot of um, people in the retro gaming area were um, pretty rude and pretty disappointed by Mr. Eckbrecht and to have... Uh, to have given the license to them rather than uh, releasing the game to the community for free. Right. Um, right. Hmm. So that's actually, I bought it. And it's good. Uh, the good thing here is they enclosed a super, um, super NES cartridge box with it. Uh, speaking right. of reproductions, we have um, the C64 Mini has a release date now. Um, March 29th. 20, yeah, March 29, 2018. So uh, in a month from, well, two months from now, but no, a month and a half. But soon it'll be out in stores. You can get one. Well, will you get one? Uh, that means... You don't know. I have a okay. real C64, so I don't know the, the, mm. I have a use for it, really, honestly. Because, mm. again, I can just, you know, I can turn this one on. Or you can wait for the pro version that is yes, coming Yes, well, but that even that. Has a full even that, though, with the full keyboard and all that stuff, I have a C64. So if this gave me some capabilities that this doesn't, you know, maybe built, you know, built-in super CPU or something like that, that would be you something use... that would... You can use Vice for the Super CPU. Eh, it doesn't really work that well. I've tried it. Well, Metal Dust works on it so far. Oh, okay. yeah. I tried a couple of demos and they weren't very thrilled. So, okay. Um, well, it's it's still an alpha feature from what I know, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, so, I mean, it, you know, if if I didn't have one, if I didn't have a machine and just wanted something to go and play games with, then yeah. You would get a DTV and modify it. Well, no, this is, <laughs> I think this is better than the DTV, but. That's, will, that will be to be seen. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. There's a lot of vitriol about it. I mean, I see a lot of people in the C64 groups won't even discuss it. It's like a banned topic. Which I know, which yeah. surprises me. Mention it, and then you get banned. Yeah, which surprises me because it's something that's actually being done, and they all love the the sixty four reloaded, and they they love the the sixty four ultimate, which isn't even out yet, and and um, they like the DTV. Everybody loves right, the DTV, right? But this thing is getting, and this is a thing that's actually going to be produced. It's actually there, there's a date on it. It's it's. You know, I, I don't I don't see the it's not a it's not a Vega plus well of course I cannot talk about the ultimate nine as uh, 64 yet because it's not released yet right. I only did pre-order it um, so I will be able to talk about it when I have it but um, the the um, c64 reloaded mark 2 is very good right 
hands down, it's very good. And it's making everything correct that the uh, first rendition of the machine made wrong, you know, mm -hmm. like um, being incompatible with the Messiah cartridge, right. which which I didn't think was was a big deal because you can get a 10 euros or 10 um, or 5 euros USB port reset button and then the problem is solved. Yeah. So it's um, but but anyway, it's still a very good thing. So people can get this if they want to have a new C64 um, instead of a um, thing. Well, the thing is with the DTV, why people loved it is very mainly because seeing people were involved with this, right, you know. Right. Ad Adrian Gonzalez and Robin Harpin did the software. Jerry Ellsworth did the hardware, you know. Mm -hmm. And Darren Mailburn, nobody ever heard of, you know. But now Darren Mailburn is doing this thing and he promised... A little game console version that did that won't be coming out. Instead, it's instead it's a little bread bin replica yeah. with non-working keyboard, and people got pissed about that because they wanted to have a, um, um, uh, one they can carry around a little game console. Yeah. Um, but then you, you mean of like course, a handheld. Can, yeah. But then of course you can get a handheld like a Dingo Digital. That is a handheld emulator and run a C64 emulator. Run Vice on a freaking Android phone, for God's sake. I know, I know, I know. But of course, of course, it's convenient if you have a real Z64 that's a handheld thing. <laughs> a portable handheld thing. Yeah. We will see. In the end, it will be released and probably will be a lot better than people are anticipated yeah. it would be. Even, even without Cherry Ellsworth and even without... Um, Adrian Gonzalez and without um, Robin Harpern, still without the scene guys, it still should be possible. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you have FPGA, and we talked about this a lot of times, you know, there's this FPGA sit coming out, mm -hmm. and now everybody's under pressure that sit emulation has to be um, not emulated, but really perfect to the original ship. So that will be very interesting to see. Um, of course, I can imagine that it will more focus on the 8580 because it's easier to um, emulate than the 6581, which right. is the uh, yeah, which you has don't have this. To worry about the filters and junk. Yep. Well, of course, there are filters, but they're not as remarkable as the yeah. old version. Yeah, so we will see. We will see if they go the easy path. Or if Devin Mailbird actually got developers that really put so much um, power and enthusiasm into it right. that this machine will be close to perfect, and then everybody will shut shut up and mm -hmm. say, "Okay, what's better than I thought it would be, hands down." Yeah. No question about it. So we spoke a lot about emulation and FPGA rendering and all that stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to um, to Plexi Laser. They are a German company. I just got this this case, and, and listeners can't see it, but you can. This yeah. is a a case for my my ACA five hundred. I know. And I know. Yeah. This is a solidly well built acrylic case. And actually, I'm I'm planning on ordering from them in a few days. Oh yeah. There's um, this uh, Pret bin case. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. I've seen that. Yeah, because the th see-through one, you know, people want, like, 
was what two hundred fifty dollars for it. Yeah, which is ridiculous, you know. Yep. On eBay, so, and I would like to have a Pratt bin board with an ultimate swing set because it has LEDs on it and it's really shiny and colorful when it's working. Right. And then having this um, plexi thing put into it, that would really be a nice, colorful show when the SID chip is yeah. Um, active. Yeah. And that is why I'm planning to, to buy from them as well. Cool. Yeah, they they're, uh, they make good stuff. Yeah, it's Michael Schoen, I think. Is that how you say it? Sean? Michael Schoen. Schoen. Yeah, like Ma- Schoen, yeah. like Schoenfeld. Yeah, okay. So it's Michael pretty, Schoen. Yeah, pretty, pretty means. Yeah. You can check it out at www.plexilaser.de. And I hardly recommend it. Make good stuff. Right. So that's all I got. Me too. Okay. Well, that was pretty easy. Oh my god. Yeah. So we've got um, so Chester Colchin is waiting over there for us to finish up here and, and and get to him. So let's go and do that now. Yeah, the Knights of Bites. Yes. <laughs> so, it took 10 years till I finally have an interview with Chester Colson. Oh, my God. <laughs> welcome, to, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. So, you are pretty much known for um, doing a lot of games, actually. Um, it, uh, C64... Vicky says you're one of the few that actually started developing for the C64 in 97 when it was not worth it anymore from the commercial side. Yeah, well, you know? the Commodore, yeah, I know. Of course I know. <laughs> the Commodore 64, I don't know. When were his heydays over? I think in the mid-90s already. I think the 94. Uh, I guess 94 was the last yeah. one with Lemmings. That was well, actually it was the last, last one with one. Lemmings, but I'm sure it had been it had been you know declining long before that. As far as you know, the, the amount of money you could make off of software sales, because you had lots of. I mean, the C64 was rife with piracy, so I think we lost profitability disappeared a lot sooner than it did with some other things like the NES and so on. Well, that's true, but the NES. Oh, I love the NES, but that's a completely different subject, by the way. <laughs> but uh, profitability is one thing, but things have changed interestingly uh, from back then until today. Mm-hmm. So ten years have passed, and the situation has amazingly changed. Uh, Let's let's talk a bit about how you actually started. I mean, how did it uh, start that you got a C64 and that you decided you you code uh, games for a hobby, despite the heydays were over yet? Yeah, well, when the C... What was it? I think I was not even 10 years old when in a local toy store uh, I saw in the window um, a thing a thing that could display animation on a TV screen and you could even influence what was happening there using buttons. And I was so fascinated by that. (laughs) And I was asking the the clerk at the store, uh, well, what does it cost? And okay, you mean, I mean, I haven't, I haven't even been 10 years old and um, the the amount of money uh, that he uh, told me uh, was quite unachievable for a young boy but I really wanted to have something like that so I started 
to save money. I really started saving money when I was 10 years old for, yeah, for whatever, for this thing called computer or video game or whatever. And uh, it was a long way to go, actually. <laughs> and uh, I, I think the Commodore 64 um, was introduced in Germany back in, I don't know, 82, maybe? Actually, and 83. It took, it took it, a year to come to Europe from okay. the U.S., yeah, it, it was introduced. Uh, I, I remember uh, very well uh, for one thousand three hundred um, German Deutsche Marks, and that was hell of a lot of money. I mean, yes. hell of a lot of money. <laughs> uh, so I had to uh, save uh, some years more. But you know, price was dropping, and there was a point in time when the price and the money I saved met in the middle, kind of met in the middle. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then I think at the age of 10 or 11, I finally bought a C64. Wow. It could have been any other computer, but the C64 was at that time the, what is it, that new thing. So it yeah. had to be uh, a C64, but the money I saved uh, uh, wasn't sufficient for a C64 with a floppy disk drive. So I had to <laughs> deal with the tape first, the, with the, what is it, what is it called? The, the tape deck. And, data set. Uh, yeah. Data set. Yeah. <laughs> right. And better than, better than nothing, of course, but uh, yeah, the disk drive should be a thing some years later to buy. Well, you could have moved to UK because in Britain the data set was more common than the disk drive because of the big difference in price compared to disk games. Yeah, I know. I have uh, been asked a lot lately, just lately, um, about my brand new game, uh, whether there is a tape option. <laughs> and most of, people, most of the people who ask that were... No wonder, uh, UK guys. <laughs> but I think, uh, what was it? Was it the um, the, the Amstrad or the Spectrum? I, I don't know really the term, but uh, um, you could, as I remember, uh, plug a real cassette recorder mm -hmm. to this computer. You, you didn't even have to buy a, a certain special thingy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what made it quite popular. Yeah, that's over. true. People have kind of a real um, nostalgic reverence for the, the the tape loaders, which blows my mind because I started out with a disk drive and I didn't get a, a data set until years later when it was just, it was um, in amongst a lot of other stuff that I got, you know, an old used thing. And they had a couple of games on cassette and I, I remember trying them and being like, God, why would anyone do this? <laughs> like, why would you torture yourself with watching this thing load for 45 minutes? Well, it was actually I have between to admit, 10 and 12. Uh, the, the, the thing is, um, I, I'm not the big fan of the data set or, or tape in general, because um, the, the older you get, uh, the less time you have. And uh, so it's, it's quite, I don't know, um, a disk drive is more logical than a tape deck. But um, people developed quite interesting loading systems for the tape. And uh, as far as I understood, uh, some guy told me what's so great about tapes. And he said, it's not the game itself. It could have been loaded from disk as well. But um, some loading systems perform a real 
kind of show while loading. You know, there are there is this picture coming up, and then there are scroll text uh, with advertisement for the next products or some stuff. And um, maybe today, where the time is so fast, uh, people use the tape to decelerate life <laughs> a bit to get ready for the game, to get into the mood, uh, make coffee, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Played Sam's Journey on the emulator instead. Yeah. I did my first programming attempts using the data set, but uh, I have so often lost my work due to, uh, let's say, um, errors in the uh, usage of the data set. You mean rewinding or fast forwarding, uh, noting numbers on a piece of paper, losing this piece of paper. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so losing work. It was quite kind of frustrating. And uh, the disk drive, which I don't know, came two years later for me, was kind of a, what is it, a relevation, I think. <laughs> Yeah, helped a lot. So, and what made you decide to um, code games? I think your first commercial game was Ice Guys, or am I mistaken? 97? Uh, if you don't count um, these uh, online, mag not online, what were they called? Disc magazines, where you could send in stuff, which uh, could have been published. Uh, if you don't count that, then yes, Ice Guys would have been my first commercial product in... I don't know, 94? I think 94. It's uh, been released by myself, actually, and later on published by Protovision, um, where it is still available today, <laughs> interestingly, as a, I don't know, uh, one euro download thingy. Uh, yeah. Oh, interestingly, mm -hmm. because I remember it being released in 97, and uh, the C64 wiki says the same, actually. Well, I, I I'm not that very good with numbers, I admit, and uh, I know, I know I had my uh, exams at at school, and uh, when I was um, developing Ice Guys, um, <laughs> um, so that was '95. But maybe ah, okay. the process of publishing was, of course, later after that, and. Uh, I know you were one of my first customers because uh, it was back in a time where I put an ad into a printed newspaper <laughs> that was about uh, computer systems. And uh, yeah, uh, I think you wrote me a letter. And I did, yes. Yeah, yeah. 98, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a long time ago, actually. And uh, yeah, payments were done uh, putting checks into an envelope and sending it. Cross <laughs> checks, and, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And shipping was done with, uh, yeah, copying disks and sending them over and, yeah, stuff. <laughs> yes, and I, I remember your answer. Yeah. I remember your answer. You said, I'm I'm very um, humble, humbled by your interest, but unfortunately, I, I only released two games so far. And that was Bomb Mania and uh, Ice Guys. Yeah. That they were the um, products uh, for for that people know and recognize me because, um, as you said, they were the commercial ones. Mm. I mean, there was stuff before not worth mentioning at all. So <laughs> let's talk about <laughs> <Okay>. everything. 
beginning with ice guys <laughs> <laughs> nice yes um but but you had some up and downs actually i mean there was a thing with uh, Terrican 3 that that wasn't very nice going um because the preview was stolen on a disc and i think it was actually stolen from you if i'm not mistaken no it was not stolen uh, from me but uh ah. The thing is, uh, there have been these uh, Turrican game series, which actually uh, started on the C64. Um, it was later continued on uh, the Commodore Amiga uh, and then ported to consoles. But the series started on C64 and uh, after Turrican 3, which was, I think, now it's my bad memory for numbers again, uh, in the beginning of the 90s, uh, released for the C64. 1990, I guess. Ah, and after that, there was kind of a, a break from all Turkin kinds of games because Mr. Manfred Trent uh, seized his C64 work completely and uh, no one else ever did a Turrican-like game again. And, uh, well, at least uh, in our in the PAL zone, um, it was a very popular series and uh, people well wished there would be another game and well we the, the Stefan uh, whom I'm working with <laughs> uh, he was always uh, it was always his wish to continue the series in an unofficial way of course you mean and, Stefan Gutsch? right yeah. this the same Stefan who made the graphics for Sims Journey I'm working with Stefan for a very long time now and actually we've met because we both wanted to make a Turrican style game that was exceptionally uh, that was actually the inception of our collaboration ah interesting okay yeah yeah, yeah well this Turrican was actually quite not as technically not as good as we um wanted it to be but <laughs> this has something to do with the skill set at that time and uh, when it leaked it was in a shape where it let's say um well the internal name for uh, the game was turrican 3 so when the intellectual property owner of the real turrican series uh, got away of this preview that was not a good thing and uh, combined with the fact that it's technically not what we wanted it to be, we axed it, finally. Mm, I see. But but there is a happy ending there because um, um, a AEG actually from Smash Designs released another Terrican 3 in 2004. So at least yeah. the fans got their Terrican 3, but from another another group. Yes. And it's, uh, it was quite an endeavor for the AEG and his team to get this one done because it had to be done in his spare time. But he was actually um, connected with some of the original property owners, intellectual property owners. So um, that was, I think, legally okay. And that's even a good point. Was that was that the reason why it took um, a lot of time until 2005, where you finally continued with Metal Dust, that you that you decided, okay, I'm done with this because my experience with Terrican 3 was so bad. 
You mean I was done with anything <laughs> concerning the C64 and stuff? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just asking because I see in your history, you are taking a lot of breaks, you know. Um, Sam's journey was also um, taking another 12 years from the last game you did. So you always have big breaks in your game development. This is right, yeah. Happily, uh, these are uh, breaks and not that I would need 12 years to make a game or so. Uh, <laughs> no, it's... Uh, the, the Terrican 3 project was kind of a hobby project. It was done in the time where you uh, have another job uh, mm. and uh, you do your C64 stuff in your spare time. So um, Ice Guys and Bormania, uh, as I said, uh, were done... Uh, in the after school and in the before job time, you know, in this limbo in between. <laughs> so <laughs> you can you can't really tell if it's a hobby or kind of a, a self-employment um, because uh, it's more like the work of an artist. You know, you do this work and when it's done, you um, try to monetize it or publish it or you know? and mm -hmm. it doesn't even matter if you do it as your as your full-time job or in your spare time doesn't really matter and the terrigan 3 was axed and uh, now you're talking about metal dust <laughs> uh, metal dust was interestingly also a project started by stefan gutsch um but he was the coder of metal dust um but he is not really a coder he's more the graphician so, and uh, he coded this stuff because there was no one else who would code it <laughs> at that time. Yeah, it's and, a really kind uh, of a niche game because it's super CPU um, based. So you need you need this real um, rare piece of hardware to even play the game. Well, it wasn't rare back in the day because it was still available it was, for... It was still pretty rare, even when they were making them. It, not too many people had those. Well, I, yeah, I think the number of the number of uh, super CPUs that have actually been sold is, as far as I know, unknown. I mean, the serial numbers have four digits, but uh, you don't know whether uh, they start counting from zero right. <laughs> or from one zero zero. Uh, this piece of hardware was actually very rare, and um, the price was not. I mean. It was not just an acceleration card. It was so much more, but uh, most people, well, couldn't use it at its full uh, amount of power. They just used it as an accelerator card. And it has been quite expensive for just an accelerator card. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> I, I've saved for over half a year as a kid when I was 16 because it did cost with the super RAM card and 60 megabit, megabyte of RAM, it did cost 500 German marks. See, yeah, and me, which is... me being the idiot that I am, when it was still being sold, I was like, hell with that noise. I'll wait, you know, 10 or 15 years to when people are selling it, you know, when, when they get old and no one cares about it anymore. Phew, now they're like $3,000. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, we have now uh, other pieces of hardware, uh, actually quite new. Mm -hmm. For example, the Turbo Chameleon, mm -hmm. uh, which is compared to a super CPU, quite cheap. Will, but will Metal Dust also, work with that? No. no. Well. But uh, the manufacturer uh, of the Turbo Chameleon have asked me, I don't know how much, uh, how many times, uh, if there might be a way for me to, you know. <laughs> yes, please, <laughs> but, please. 
let's no, let's no, no. put you and Jens together. Yeah. Well, why don't we, <laughs> we ask are... Jens if there's a way to have the Turbo Chameleon emulate the Super CPU? No, this this that might be this easier. won't happen. This won't happen. But uh, <laughs> what 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 might happen? Uh, what what might be more probable is to make another Metal Dust for uh, not the Super CPU. Mm. Uh, instead of the super CPU uh, and the chameleon emulating the super CPU. This wouldn't work. The chameleon, as far as I know, isn't strong enough for that. And uh, also, uh, you have to emulate a different kind of CPU because ah. it's a 16-bit CPU. It has a, a very much larger address bus and could address much more mm -hmm. memory, which, okay. by the way, has to be in the chameleon, <laughs> but is not. <laughs> so there are some problems uh, arising here yeah. and um well metal dust is how old is it now we are back to numbers i think 2005 <laughs> five oh good i i guessed four but well it's more than 10 years ago it's more than a decade so and uh looking at metal bust uh, today um i was proud on releasing metal dust back then not because it's a particularly awesome super shoot em up but because it was a really difficult project and we finally managed to get it done you know right. well it's the reason uh, i've i've got a 1581 drive so that's the reason yeah, well, yeah. most people would have said would have said uh, geos would have been my reason but <laughs> okay well, i have been a geos user too so i used it for both so no problem good uh, were you able to play Metal Dust, actually? I mean, in the, as in, um, I'm good at it. No, I'm bad at games. <laughs> I, I, I wanted it so badly, I didn't care. Yeah. Didn't care. Yeah. Um, it's not, and it's not only because of Welle Erdball. It's not only because of the music. So... <laughs> <laughs> right. But he's, but he's bad at most games I've seen him play, so it's probably nothing against the game itself. Racing, racing games is—I'm good at racing games. I, I beg to differ, sir. Ah, <laughs> pissed up too. But AJ <laughs> said something about uh, a niche, and uh, I think Metal Dust is still, up to today, the only game developed for the Super CPU. So there has never been another game especially made for it. And uh, if you ask me today whether it was a good idea to even make it, I would say no, of course <laughs> not. <laughs> because you, the, the original plan was another one. It was to make the Super CPU more popular, actually, because I know in the NTSC zone, I, I'm not sure, but I think uh, in its original uh, country where it was manufactured, um, the main target audience for the Super CPU wasn't really the gamers, but the geos users right. i think right the that accelerate in the, yeah. in the 90s late 80s i guess when that came out that was it, a lot of the things that you'd read here in the us it was really um um touted as something that would help you get that last get a couple more years out of your your c64 equipment because the people here you had like some diehards they did not want to leave this they had a lot of stuff invested drives and software and everything and and so this get let you squeeze a little bit more blood out of that turnip yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm aware of all these uh, Commodore user clubs uh, uh, over uh, in America where um, 
who are still meeting today, actually. And uh, <laughs> I see when, when they post pictures and uh, I see yeah, quite some communities uh, discussing stuff. And I think their monthly or annual or quarterly uh, club magazine is still being printed using GeoPublish. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, that's amazing, actually. But in, in, in Europe... Or, or uh, the geos has ne never been this popular uh, because it has always been I don't know. Um, it, the C sixty four was a gaming machine over here, and uh, the demo scene has uh, picked it up. And uh, well, it's a technical thing. You have some more well possibilities on a PAL machine. Um, interesting for uh, game developers and demo developers. Um, Despite that, you did your own operating system. <laughs> well, I started to. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, this was more an uh, academical thing because uh, at that time I uh, was uh, I was studying um, information technology and uh, one subject uh, on the schedule was, of course, operating systems. And uh, at that time... Uh, we were still active on the C64 and the Super CPU was up at that time. And, um, well, you're one plus one and you are at, hey, let's make an operating system. <laughs> But, you know, it's it's the same thing as if you release a new platform today and you have an app store and there are no apps. You have no apps, you lose. And so you know, releasing an operating system without a killer app or an app at all uh, It's actually a bad idea, and no one really wanted to do something like porting GeoPublish or GeoWrite or you know you name it uh, to a new operating system. Although it would have been cool, because I mean the Super CPU has powers that Geos haven't hasn't even used because um, it had to be um, what is it um, backward compatible to the old stuff. It was 8-bit code. It just I don't know, benefited mainly from, I think, um, the RAM for um, caching stuff. But I mean, all the applications uh, have been, had still been the old 8-bit stuff, huh? just a bit faster. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it turned out an operating system is a way too huge project if you have uh, a small team. And so this one got axed as well at a certain wow. point of time. Too bad. Too bad. We had some interesting things running. Um, uh, graphical user interface uh, featuring multi-threaded animations. That was fun stuff. But, uh, you know, this is fun, not productivity. And <laughs> your uh, potential customers for an operating system would want to not watch animations. They would want to, well, publish their monthly club magazine. So <laughs> it would have been a very long way to publishing the club magazine using our operating system. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, you had more success, um, as you said in another interview, than you expected with the four-player games adapter. Yeah, this is this is an interesting thing. Uh, Bomb Mania was my second commercial game, and I believe you are an early customer of that one too. <laughs> yes, um, I got the I got the <laughs> <golden> <laughs> <bowl> <laughs> first. <laughs> if, if if anyone's an early customer, it's always Jurg. 
is always Jörg. Yeah, he's always the first one in line. Has Bombania ever been popular in uh, the US? Yes. Yes. It is. Yes. Oh, great. Because, but I there first had to be an NTSC version of it, and I think um, when I created Bombania, it has of course always been a part thing. But uh, when it was published via Prodovision, then uh, the NTSC support was added. It was a good thing. And the adapter you are uh, talking about, well, uh, I have met a friend who has just got for Christmas this thingy on the Super Nintendo um, called Bomberman with the a four player. Yeah, the four yeah, score. Yeah. Four and score was, is it called, yeah. Four score, right. Uh, yeah. And he was, yeah, and I, I didn't even know uh, Bomberman. Uh, I, I, I missed <laughs> Dino Blaster on the Amiga completely. Uh, wow. There haven't been many good clones, I think. And, um, well, I played with the four Play adapter. I don't know whether I really liked the concept of Bombania, but playing it with four people at the same time, that was actually the source of joy, happiness, and fun. And so I thought, hey, wow, uh, we need a four player adapter for the C64. And I'm not good at soldering or uh, creating hardware stuff, but I, um, <laughs> I put together a, let's say, prototype. Well, I call it prototype. Jens Schönfeld would call it junk, but I mean, <laughs> okay, the, the hot glue solder method. Yeah, I know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I used to, uh, I used to uh, put these the, the jacks where, where you uh, afterwards plug the joysticks in. The jacks were screwed into a case where a video cassette was originally inside, and uh, the cables were. You know, oh, no, no, no. Well, it worked. That's the important bit. <laughs> and um, the, the what is it? The scheme. The electrical, um, the scheme, is it called scheme? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, I guess I, so. Yeah. Uh, I made a drawing of the scheme and had some other guy do <laughs> the soldering. And, uh, well, I made a, bomb, a Bomberman clone in very little days because uh, someone told me, hey, there's a new magazine here in Europe and uh, there is the first issue. Would it, wouldn't it be great if Bomania was part of it? I said, okay, when's, uh, what is it called? When the staff uh, at the newspaper says, okay, all articles have to be here at deadline, right? When's deadline? Yeah, well, in 10 days. Okay. <laughs> and that's why Bomania up to today is a bit quirky. But <laughs> did not notice that. Did not. Oh. And uh, yeah, but this is how we made this adapter popular. And because the schemes were open, um, some people even built their own. Hmm. And one but, guy who but, picked it up was Jens Schönfeld and made it a professional version. And I think I'm now the proud owner of a <laughs> Jens Schönfeld edition of, <laughs> of your own thing. <laughs> of okay. My own thing. <laughs> I I, st I still I still have the only and original um, from um, bought from um, Megacom back in the day from oh, Wolfgang Wolfgang Grimm. Yes, the the coder of um, Mega Patch, the Mega Patch Patch oh. for Geos. Oh my God! Yeah. Okay. I think uh, then your four player adapter is this tiny black box. 
No, it's a red. It's a red. It's a red circuit board. Okay. So there Show seem us. to be Go more editions than I know. <laughs> mm, you see. But, mm. well, great. But I was lucky, uh, not lucky, I, I was happy or glad that other people picked this up. And uh, there have been other adapters for four players. But I think that one became quite the de facto standard. And many games have been adapted, even those who weren't originally for three people. I think uh, someone... International karate. International karate. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there have always been three fighters on screen, but uh, you know, <laughs> that was quite fun. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's it's a bit like the IDE adapter, um, IDE sixty four, where where there was a time where every game was patched for IDE sixty four, and I guess it was the same with your four player adapter. Many many games were patched for this adapter, you know. Um, mm. Yeah, and and oh, some that's, some that's actually time. some actually modified Bomb Mania for using keyboard instead. <laughs> but this yeah, is like, uh, yeah, this is kind of downgrading, I think. But <laughs> I mean, it could have been the problem that uh, joysticks are not that easy to come by uh, in the last ten years. I mean, uh, people like Jens Schinfeld now produce a brand new competition pro. Uh, joystick, but um, there have been times when your joystick broke, you had a problem because there have no replacements uh, available, and maybe that's where you say, "Hey, let's use the keyboard instead." <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I think joysticks okay. are one of those things that will just be because we can adapt. You know, you can take an Atari joystick or you know a Sega Master System thing, anything that's got that that nine pin plug. And pretty much convert that. I think that's one of those things that we're going to have forever. After we're all dead and gone, and these machines are all dead and gone, there's going to be an Atari joystick somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and it's playing Bomb Mania on yeah. 64, yeah. <laughs> um, but but I guess your first, <clears throat> your first game that was actually um, released in a big package... Um, up to the nowadays standards was actually well. I mean, I mean, I, we could say Metal Dust um, was the first one that was professionally released with a with a big case and so on. But that wasn't a fifty. That wasn't a fifteen forty one release. So that that maybe doesn't count. I don't know. I think um, it still counts. I mean, it, it was for it was for a Commodore eight bit system, even if it had enhancements. And even if it was on a fifteen eighty one disc, it's still a release that was professional and. Yeah. Well, this subject has been discussed in a very controversial way, actually, because uh, whether it was a C64 release or not um, was, as I said, a subject of very, <laughs> very, uh, it was kind of a war instead. Uh, some people say, no, um, it's uh, it may look like a C64 and it may sound like a C64, but it doesn't feel like a C64 anymore. And for those people, uh. <laughs> well, it's not it's not my view of things, but uh, I can now, nah, you know, on on video game consoles, um, no one ever asks if there have been any additional hardware on the cartridge. You know, um, right. I, I've always been a big fan of uh, the Nintendo consoles, like NES and Super Nintendo, and 
I mean, I know there have been actually a lot of additional hardware on the cartridges to make uh, the games work. And uh, you can <laughs> you can argue whether the Super CPU is kind of a little additional hardware. Uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> but um, well, it 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 may ha it may have put people off, and uh, well, the price maybe was also uh, an aspect of that. Didn't and stop me. <laughs> well, as far as Didn't being an you, actual no, but... release for it, I mean, you know, you, no one questions. I've got stuff that won't run on, on a stock Amiga 500 that'll run on one that's been that's got extra memory or slightly faster processor and all that stuff and no one argues that that's just an Amiga game you know and it's a C64 sure basically the C64 is a keyboard for this box that's plugged into the back of it now but it's still a C64 <laughs> basically yeah I, I I don't get this uh, point either I mean uh, on the C64 there seems to be an unwritten law that you may not at all modify or extend your C64 on the other hand I see many bread boxes with a lot of switches uh, built yeah. in and buttons <laughs> and stuff and mm -hmm. alternative kernel ROMs and whatever and uh, but <laughs> this is I don't I don't know when where's the threshold where it's called cheating I don't know um I'm going to bring in the Jeep analogy again in, in that, that everyone that has a Jeep, they always do things to it. it it's never it's never like it came out of the factory like that. They have to put stupid lights on it or change the tires yeah. or whatever. <laughs> Same thing with the C64. Everyone does their own little thing to it. None of them are like they came out of the, the factory like that because, you know, they've, they've put little switches in or they've added a Jiffy DOS or, or whatever. None of them are stock anymore. I have some stock ones. But they're not going to be stock for a while after you get done with them. Well, I will, I will keep them stock. But I know okay. what you mean. Yeah. I also have modified one. Right, I have a whole right. collection the one, of The ones that you models. use are the modified ones. No. No? Actually, I'm using, an, I'm using a retro replay. That's good enough for me, actually. But again, now you're modifying it because that is not a ROM that came with the original But it's system. not an internal. It's not an internal It doesn't matter. The Super CPU isn't internal either. Yeah, but I I don't I don't add switches I don't add switches to my machine. Wow. So as you can see, two people are enough to have this kind of debate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and now imagine the entire community. Mm -hmm. But um, but now going now going to the German, didn't it hurt you that people in the NTSC world were arguing? They're like, I can do it better. My solution wouldn't require a RAM expansion unit. Oh, you're talking about Sam's journey. Yeah. Uh, now dude. we should talk about yeah, Sam's the journey. Ar armchair coders. They're like, yeah, I could have <laughs> done that better. <laughs> then do it. Yeah, armchair coders. <laughs> nice term, yeah. Well, um, thing is, when we started with Sam's journey, or when we, when we had the initial idea and, and did some brainstorming stuff and um, tried out the first little stuff, we haven't—I I bet we haven't even thought about the NTSC because um, we weren't even sure that we would make it a big product. Actually, yeah, mm -hmm. okay. it was—it was more um, the first try after a decade of break uh, time again. <clears throat> Uh, whether we are still able to do stuff on the computer. So um, we haven't even thought very far. And uh, so the NTSC hasn't, wasn't even the plan. So, but, you know, <laughs> uh, in contrast uh, to the time when Metadust uh, had been developed, um, 
times have changed. We now have social media. Um, we posted pictures of Sam's journey and um, people were able to uh, react on that. And um, well, the world has, I don't know, um, gotten way smaller. And um, there were reactions from not just the PAL zone, but also the NTSC zone. Mostly um, in the vein of, um, will it be NTSC too? <laughs> <laughs> Will there be an NTC version? <laughs> Please don't forget the NTC version. <laughs> and I have I've heard these four letters, you know, so often um, that <laughs> that I um, had a discussion with my colleague. Oh, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Problem is, um, if you make a game um, that's perfectly well working on both machines, you have to plan it in advance. Um, Sam's journey was quite far in terms of progress and um and the the, the decision to add ntsc support came quite late oh, and okay. um the problem is when you start out with the pal machine um i mean the technical stuff is as it is um you have a machine that's a bit slower but this is not really uh, interesting the more interesting thing is um you have far more time to draw your frame than on an NTC machine. And if you plan a platformer in the vein of um, the NES and Super Nintendo and Genesis uh, platformers, then you need all your system resources. And we plan the game to fully uh, use the PAL hardware. Um, making this NTC compatible afterwards um, would have been either a big sacrifice on features, um, or, yeah, well, we, we, did, we did it kind of the dirty way, let's say. Um, you don't need a RAM expansion. That's a common misunderstanding. Um, the RAM expansion unit, what is it called in English if you... Uh, Ryu? Yeah, Do you call R it the Ryu? Yeah, the RU. RU. Okay, the, the RU um, is not just a RAM expansion. It's also a fast byte copier. It can transfer memory quite fast. And um, you don't even have to have RAM <laughs> in your RU. Um, I just exploit this little piece of hardware to, um, yeah, oh, this is an original. Yeah, yeah. It, this is actually quite big. <laughs> oh, yeah, God, the thing's massive. It's huge. You got to like the, the thing's hanging off the desk halfway because you got to work this yeah, thing behind I, it. Yeah, I guess so. And it's a big in size, not necessarily in capacity, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah it's 512K. But I mean, great. the, the, the uh, 64K version was the same, or 128, or whatever the other one was. They're all the same size. So Does it have its own power supply unit? No. You have to no. you have to get an upgraded, uh, yeah. a larger a high version. One. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, for the 64. I, I, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you have an original Ario. This is interesting. Um have you played Sam's Journey? I have. Because you have this very toy. Yes. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the point I was making all the time on, on Facebook. I'm like, every serious C64 collector has a Roy somewhere. Yeah. Or an REU. Mm -hmm. Why are you even complaining? Right. I mean, I mean, you have Geos RAM. You have um, CMD 
REU, which is the one I have, which mm-hmm. is exactly made from the same parts like the original one, right, right. because they spared Commodore parts. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the original Commodore. You, yeah, have, you got the, you uh, got the GeoRam, which costs like yeah. 25 bucks online now. I mean, you can get all this stuff. It's not... Yeah. It's Berkeley not software, to come and there were, there were German copies from Rex, uh-huh. Rex Electronics. Right. So the, you have tons of different variants, uh-huh. and and uh, Zem certainly is supporting them. It's not like you need this this very special version of the RAM expansion unit. Right. It's not not a problem. Right. So I don't know why why people are even complaining. It's not like it's a okay. rare item that you hardly <laughs> can get anywhere. Yeah. To be honest, I haven't even expected people to have a real REU. Um, <laughs> at that time, when I made the decision to um, use the REU to um, mitigate uh, the, the frame drops, um, I was more thinking about things like the uh, 16, uh, 1541 Ultimate. Because um, I knew many people nowadays have disk drive replacement solutions, and nearly every um, hardware expansion nowadays um, has a REU emulation on board. Yep. So I was thinking when people have replaced the real drive by a Ultimate, then they have an REU. So yeah. then they are ready to play Sam's Journey. <laughs> that was my original idea. Hmm. Yeah, and a lot of people, as, you, as Jörg has said to me, who doesn't have us. He's like, who doesn't have a C64 or 1541 Ultimate? Well, I, I don't. But, <laughs> but you know, you but a, well, yeah, but most people do at this point because it's it's a lot more convenient than you know messing around with actual discs and all this stuff. But it, but like you said, you know, an, an REU is built into almost everything you get now. Yeah. So they are not rare to come by. Oh. You you can get them from all different kind of flavors. You can get them built in in uh, the fifteen uh, fifteen forty one ultimate, oh. and I'm I'm the only one using it for tape actually because of preserving tapes. That's why I'm why I'm using it because it has a tape adapter you can oh. buy for. So yeah. Okay. I, I'm the kind of guy who is transferring disk using a network, the RR net. <laughs> I like that a bit more. So okay. anyway. Anyway, so uh, yeah, so so and, and I think for some reason, hopefully we were we had a part in making NTSC more popular because I remember when we were starting with a scene world in the year two thousand, people were saying, "Why are you even caring about Americans? That, that is dead, it's dead, it's dead." That market. Or seven of us left. <laughs> yeah, and um, and. Going on this ground, it must have been surprising for you, Chester, that there were hundreds of Sam Journey orders on the first day or something. Well, when America, when the American market uh, was really dead, then I had a lot of zombies on my social media accounts lately because, <laughs> I mean, uh, we have we have published uh, sneak peek trailer videos of Sam's journey over the last months. And uh, it's not just the European guys watching it. Everyone watched these and um, yes, day one, not even, not even at the day of the release, we have um, opened the option for pre-order, I think in October. So two months earlier, people could um, already pay for the unfinished game 
which which was a bold move, I know. But uh, we had <laughs> the, the the general interest in the game was so high that we had really problems um, producing that high number uh, of units. So um, in a way, we asked the audience to um, help us with funding the production. Um, and they did help us um, via pre-ordering. And um, it there, there were quite some uh, NTSC guys um, there too. But um, it's interesting. You can post about the um, REU requirement um, often and again and again, but not everybody catches this bit of information. You have to repeat this information over and over again um, so that there isn't anyone suddenly disappointed because, oh, it's it needs a Rio. Interestingly, um, the NTC guys may be the ones who, again, um, complain about this is not the C64 if it requires a RU. Um, where the PAL guys this time, um, there is nothing to... Um, bash about is running on a stock machine from 82 <laughs> and uh, everything is good but well many NTSC um, customers I know about um, opted for the download of course because um, shipping a physical unit um, I'm sure they would have liked a physical unit but um, Provision does not have a um, distribution partner um, over the USA so um, it's a lot of shipping costs involved. Well, um, Malior, you can get, you can still get one physical NTSC release on disk, right? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah there is. Uh, you can uh, order the physical release on disk, of course. But it's again, uh, the price is in euro. You have to add um, exchange rates. You have to add, uh, I don't know, uh, in income, uh, not income. What is it? Uh, <laughs> the taxes uh, and the uh, shipping costs and. Um, an Australian guy said, ooh, I would have liked the box, but no, mm. it has to get here anyhow. Yeah. And yeah. Never stopped me in I the did, past. I did get the digital <laughs> download. I, I intend to go back and actually get the box, but I have no patience to wait for shipping. So I got the digital download now so that I could I could play instantly. <laughs> and then wow. So you're actually paying twice. Oh, yes. my God. There's my, there's my uh, digital download. Well, wow, this is... But 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 you know that you would have uh, got access to the downloads uh, ordering a physical box, do you? Yes, but I, yeah. but I take it as an additional support and say thank you very much for exactly. that. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> no, the yes. <laughs> I I know of some guys who actually um, ordered uh, the physical box and. Um, now are still waiting for it, but because we have, as I said, a huge uh, number of units to actually manufacture and, and then ship. And not, not even the Germans uh, are in the advantage of getting it first, because um, as far as I know, the orders are being um, processed in the order as they were placed in the shop after the game. I don't know, but yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, quite, it's quite randomly. Yeah. Yeah. I know... I know about some uh, U.S. guys who actually have the package, and I have a friend in Frankfurt, Germany, who still hasn't. So um, it's kind of fair. <laughs> and I know of some people in Germany who are still waiting for the package who haven't, who up to this time still um, were had had this discipline to not try the download because because they wow. don't want to spoil the game. They really want to play it from real media, and um, are still waiting. 
trying to get away from the media channels to not <laughs> and then the disc is broken and then the disc is broken do 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 well this is the worst case scenario i think but then again you could opt for the download and problem solved right well as i learned from from the recent years uh, buying cartridge games you even can't be sure that the cartridge is arriving and working I, I I got one a while ago, a new game, and the cartridge uh, cartridge I see was just broken, oh. didn't didn't boot up. So, yeah, well, this is this is a problem that we have uh, manufacturing the cartridges. So the pieces um, are ordered at a. This is everything is uh, automated. Uh, you know, um, there's a big factory. They are programmed and they um, spit out these cartridges. Um, all the parts are being automatically, uh, well, shot onto the board. <laughs> and uh, there is a certain rate of failure. And uh, usually, it, well, if you purchase an iPhone, um, then you don't get the board directly from the factory. Um, it undergoes tests and stuff. Yeah, And uh, the boards uh, we have are raw from the factory. Um, we do test them, but we can't really, yeah, um, make 100% sure. Right. And, uh, yeah, this uh, might slip one through. This pretends to be working, but isn't. <laughs> yeah. And I'd assume this would go for, for the discs, too, because when you're talking about floppies, you know, a lot of this stuff is 25, 30 years old. That, that they don't, I don't know if they make these anymore, you know, so you're still working with they might be new sealed in a box somewhere, but you're still using fairly old stock, right? Yeah, that's true. I think <clears throat> the last factory actually making these discs has just closed, I don't I think. And uh well, I'm really astounded that people like Prolovision or Cytronic um actually have this large number of discs on stock. Oh. <laughs> hmm. The yeah. time will come where you have sent in discs to get new original games, I think. Yeah. To get them back with. <laughs> that, that, and it's kind of reverting back to how things used to be, because it used to be that you'd have to send in discs because they were expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're reverting back to our earlier states. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have still a thousand in my cupboard for for bad times. So. Yeah. You mean blank ones? For, for the, yeah, for blank the, ones. For the lean times, for the future, when, <laughs> when he'll be the only one left. <laughs> so, so let's talk a bit. Um, did did Sam's journey turn out the way you 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 wanted it to be? Did it turn out better? I mean, I mean, a lot of people saying it's the best game in centuries, and it's a real um, breaker of limits. It's even better than Mayhem in Monsterland, which was before the top notch of um, <laughs> jump and runs. Actually, after people said all this stuff, um, it's hard for me to say, yes, the game is exactly as we intended it to be. <laughs> but it actually is. Um, when we planned this game, uh, we were big fans of uh, the, the, these kind of games. Um, we were C64 fans. But um, playing platform, platform games was always a thing you had to go to different machines because 
what did we have on the C64? We had um, popular in Europe uh, were the Giant Sisters, um, mainly in Monsterland. Um, in the NTC zone, you have uh, the CJ series, I think. CJ the Elephant, was it? And um, there have been Navi the Artfark. We had a New Zealand story. Um, but, I mean, we are talking about a machine with decades of lifetime and thousands of games, but good platformers actually weren't that often. That's and true, actually. <laughs> I, I agree. 64 platforming, uh, platformer games on the C64 are one of its weakest um, weakest fields, I feel like. I've never really... A lot of them I haven't felt comfortable playing. I don't know if it's because of the joystick or what, but... That's a good point. Did you, did you enjoy playing Zemshirini more, I, AJ? I did. Despite the joystick? I despite did, even joystick? despite the joystick. Because it's... A lot of platformers on the 64, when you're coming off of... Like, I never gamed much on the machine. I, I did a lot, most of my gaming on an NES or something where you've got a gamepad. And so coming to this and then using a joystick to play a platformer feels counterintuitive a lot of times. And I didn't feel that way with, with Sam's Journey. I actually... It, it, it felt fluent and it was... It worked with the joystick as opposed to a lot of them I've played where it just kind of feels awkward. If that makes Going up sense. to jump. <laughs> I'm yeah, glad to hear that. I, I was genuinely surprised about uh, complaining many people about uh, having to push up for jump because I, I, I haven't been aware. Well, I have played on video game consoles um, at the same time or the same amount of time as uh, on, on home computers. So I'm kind of a stick and a controller guy. But... Um, Platformers, as I said, um, I've always played platformers on the NES and Super Mario Brothers 3 is uh, what I would call my most favorite classic platformers of all times, if you ask me. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the Stefan Gutsch, uh, my graphician, um, he's had always been a big fan of Kirby, the Kirby character and um, Kirby's, what is it? Uh, Kirby Dreamland. Dre Dreamland, right. Um and it was his idea, actually, that um, he wanted a hero that changes appearance completely. Uh, when I said, Whoa, are you really sure you want that? I mean, you have to animate <laughs> the character in all his different costumes. And he said, yeah, no problem. I said, okay. Um, and the Donkey Kong Country series on the Super Nintendo was oh, yes. uh, one of my favorite uh, series as well. And when we were brainstorming stuff, um, there hasn't been any C64 game amongst those uh, where we drew inspiration from because there haven't been any. <laughs> we have uh, taken our inspiration and also the um, the kind of controls. Um, well, if, if AJ, if you say you played a lot on the NES, uh, then you might have uh, recognized um, a lot of um, gameplay yes. uh, feature and, and, and the way it controls mm -hmm. in Sam's Journey. And it was quite a journey <laughs> to uh, <laughs> to adapt an original um, gamepad controls to the stick. And uh, I know that all these people who complained about pushing up for jump, um, well, in the very first level, the button doesn't even have a function. So um, the question is, um, it's, it's, it's a good question, why not the button? But if you 
dig deeper into the game and uh, you discover all his abilities, then you might come to the conclusion, okay, <laughs> that's yeah. what the button is for. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it did It did feel a lot more fluent than a lot of the other games that I've played. And the, the um, responsiveness and, and whatnot felt closer to the platformers I've played on, on NES or whatever, as opposed to the 64. The 64, there's lots of good tries, but a lot of them don't really quite, they, they, they don't meet up the expectations. The other thing I, I really liked about this that I noticed was that, again, another big cardinal sin that a lot of C64 games do is they, they respawn enemies constantly. And with this one, you kill a guy, he stays killed. You don't have to worry about, you know, 500 new enemies coming at you from the side of the screen. If you, you kill this guy, there's, there's no one else coming and, and is going to kill you two minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> but this is, this is a thing. Um, Sam's Journey is a game where you can, um, go back in the levels, um, to discover stuff that you haven't picked up the first time. And it would have been quite some, yeah, quite annoying if you have to kill the enemies over and over again. Um, also, killing the enemies is part of the puzzle, actually, to reach some items. Right. And it wouldn't; it just wouldn't work if they would uh, respawn uh, over again. But one thing you have to admit, uh, the C64 has a quite limited amount of memory. And um, if you have many objects in a scene, uh, you actually have to store the information whether this enemy has been killed. Right or not. So you have to find a way to actually implement that in games like Genesis or Super Mario Brothers 1 uh, where you're only running in one direction, uh, it just doesn't matter, of course. Right. As long as soon as you can go backwards, uh, you have to make the game designer decision. Respawn, yes or no. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and uh, we, we chose the exploration uh, thing uh, you can, you don't have to, but you can um, go back and uh, investigate every single corner of the levels. And um, if you get to a place where there's no enemy, then you can <laughs> conclude, hey, I have been here before. <laughs> right, right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's another nice thing. Yeah. Interestingly, talking about design and so on, I was surprised about your choice for a composer, for a musician. Alexander Ney <laughs> is not really known to make a nice, cute game music. He's this more is... the techno-funk, um, um, techno-funk, electronic music kind of guy. Yeah, this is yeah, this is interesting. People who know uh, Alex Ney uh, <laughs> have have come to exactly this conclusion. Uh, well, he was doing C64 music and technically good music. And uh, when I was on the lookout for a composer, um, yes, my, my colleague uh, put in some names and I put in some names. And um, all the composers we had asked first um, rejected um, oh. because, yeah, well, <laughs> I told him, oh, it's a big project. I need uh, almost 20 tunes. And yeah, then ooh. many have said, ooh, okay. ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay. And, uh, so, and uh, then there was uh, Alex Ney, but um, the music you are you were referring to, the music style, uh, this is actually the style of his real music project. 
with a real, I mean, not chip music, but okay. uh, real music. So, and uh, this dark style you're referring to, this is his real music style. Um, when on chip, he's quite versatile, actually. Um, he calls himself a multi-style musician. Ah, okay. And and I said, oh, you call yourself a multi-style uh, <laughs> composer? <laughs> so I have here 14 different graphical settings, um, and I would like to um, have all of them spread a different atmosphere, mood, you know. And, uh, yeah, we, we made a test. I sent him screenshots of um, the 14 different settings, you know, um, outdoor settings, green hills, birds, everything fine, funny, colorful, uh, and then caves with a uh, narrow passages, um, dark, uh, then an ice cave with sparkling crystals everywhere. And I wanted him, I asked him uh, whether he could capture this atmosphere. And um, well, he said, that's a challenge and I take it. Nice. And yeah, this is basically the story. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, people who know just Taksim uh, are astounded, yes, that he can also do, um, well, happy music. <laughs> so I guess he will become one of the most booked uh, game musicians soon. Maybe. <laughs> But not, not all musics are happy, that uh, I have to add. And I didn't want that because... Um, I don't want just happy music in a platformer. I, for me, music is always um, a means to emphasize the atmosphere that is already there. And um, the music doesn't, well, it, it has to, well, yes, emphasize is the right word. Um, and he did this very good. The other challenge was um, he, he never made music that had to be compatible to sound effects. Yeah. Um, A jump and run, a, a, a platformer is a genre where you have to um, you have to hear what happens. You have to hear your jump. You have to hear when you land on the ground again. And uh, so a platformer without sound effects wouldn't work at all. For me, it wouldn't work at mm. all. And um, on the C64, you have two options. You have the option to say um, the, the melody music um, may only use two voice channels so that the third channel is always free for sound effects. That's one option. Um, that's a cheap option, actually. And um, then there's the option where you say you use all three channels, but every time I need the sound effects, I kind of steal him a voice for a short time to play the sound uh, effect instead. And um, we had some time spending making the music this way that you don't even notice. <laughs> That's interesting. Voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, I told him, hey, the one voice, um, please design the one voice uh, in a way that um, the tones are short and repeatedly um, triggered so that if I steal you this one, um, it comes back quickly. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's interesting because a lot of reviews and um, said surprisingly this game doesn't steal a voice and the first thing I noticed when I was when I was playing that journey is I was expecting a voice to miss so I was like oh yes so now the voice is switched off from the music so so I got it I got it and um, 
we did interview composers in the past. Um, for example, um, there are even games that use two channels for sound effects. For example, um, 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 Turtles, the coin-up, uses two sound effects because you have your own attack sounds and the counter-attack sounds of the enemies playing at the same time. And the other one would be Robocop 3. Because yeah. in the first level, you have a crosshair level and you have to shoot the enemies. And at there too, um, you have um, um, two channels for sound effects. So Yeruntel, for example, was, was doing that a lot. Doing music with one channel, multiplexing the instruments so fast that you wouldn't recognize that it's just one voice. And... Um, the the most famous composer actually musing a voice was Dave Lowe, who is doing that for a lot of games like Double Dragon 2, Power Drift. So just for so people can compare it to Zen Journey. So um, I have to say Zen Journey is doing this a lot better than other games. Hmm. That if you don't know what you have to listen for, you probably don't recognize <laughs> that the lead voice is missing. Right. But I'm bad. I, I'm I'm hearing that stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when I was watching some reviews, I was like, no, no, sir, you are wrong. I'm sorry. But the voice is switched off. You just didn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's perfectly good that there are people hearing it because um, we had to um, check for this. If it's um, distracting or just uh, blending in, you know. Hmm. And uh, okay. there's one, there's one song in the game where this doesn't work actually, and uh, this is the title music. But this was my fault because um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I kind of ordered the title music and I just forgot that I would have sound effects in the title music. So Taxim said to me, "Ha, you didn't say that." <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And I said, okay, and yeah, and there you can see, um, you have to put work into it, and if you don't do it, uh, it's uh, uh, at the first note hearable, you know. Mm. But you know, Hawkeye. Uh, you you didn't course. mention Hawkeye. Hawkeye <laughs> is another interesting tune who has just one voice music by Gironte, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's the master of multiplexing. It's it's just crazy. Yeah. Oh, by the way, it's it's not it's not the only one um co coming back to music. Um Ice Guys was also the the first game I've heard playing digits on a um 8580 sit. Yes. That was that was an invention that uh a friend of a friend of mine and I, uh, yes, uh, we were fans of uh, the old music uh, musics by people like Chris Hilsbeck or Jerome Tail, who were using the fourth voice for amazing stuff. And uh, as we all know, uh, Commodore fixed an error, and uh, no one would say they fixed an error. Everyone said they destroyed the sound. <laughs> but actually, actually. Um, the, the the mechanics that were used to um, actually generate this fourth uh, voice, um, no one would do it that way today. Um, there are ways to play sampled um, voices on the new SID, 
and they even sound better. But before uh, these new mechanics were even known, um, Ice Guys used a very, yeah, uh, <laughs> an, an interesting way, but it worked. The, the samples just had a resolution of two bits, interestingly. So the samples weren't very good, but um, they were always better, uh, a real snare drum, a real bass drum. And I think there was some voice samples, like yeah. one, two, three. And <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> one, two, three, go. Yes. Yeah. I've, uh, I've played that the whole day when I got first... Uh, when I got when I got Ice Guys and uh, loaded it the first time, I was playing it for three hours because I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't accept that my C64C can play digits. Well, I, I couldn't I couldn't accept that. You know, I mean, I I was I was 16. I was crazy as a child would be at this point. I was like, oh my god, what is wrong well, with this I... machine? You know. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine that now. You jumping in front of your machine. <laughs> yeah, um, ah. it's actually the we we even had distorted uh, guitars um, that, by the way, haven't been distorted at all in the original sample. <laughs> <laughs> they got all the distortion by uh, our crappy uh, sample resolution that we had. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it was still great for me. It, it's it's still sounding great nowadays. So. But you have to, the, the thing is, um, the Ice Guys doesn't have a fourth voice because we um, abused one of the three regular voices I know. to make it a sample voice. I so know. it's actually um, two sit plus one sample. But um, yeah. You did it smart <laughs> enough. Like, I did not. It's back in the day. Uh. <laughs> You see, ah, so so you did invent a lot of stuff on the C64 that that people in the other interviews even didn't mention because they were all focusing on Zamp's journey. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is right, yeah. <laughs> so when you asked me before, so what do you want to focus on in the interview? I said everything. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, well, I have prepared for anything, so I'm basically prepared for anything. This is a great thing. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so, so is there anything left to to be the first in? Can you go any further, or is Sam's journey like the maximum that can be done nowadays? Or do do you have other crazy ideas for the next project? Um, well, you you can't say that this is everything that can be done because it's so much depending on the style of game, you know. Sam's Journey is a platform game, and uh, I think it has, for a platform game, very many features on the C64. I mean, um, the, the platform games on uh, video game consoles were our inspiration. And uh, as AJ said, too, there haven't been many C64 platformers with these many features on the C64. And uh, I think concerning platformers, um, Sam's Journey is quite a high uh, profile thingy um, and I'm saying that now but let's wait some years and someone will <laughs> put something on top of that but if you leave the platform genre then then I think um, the the limit of what can be achieved has not been um, achieved yet because um, there are always things um, 
discoveries, not not necessarily new discoveries or new inventions, but um, the knowledge of the machine has um, well developed so far. And um, using the internet, we are um, collecting all the knowledge and and concentrating it on in in, in knowledge databases, so everyone can. Um, look into the knowledge databases and um, learn stuff that he didn't knew. Even 13 years of CCC4 programming, <laughs> uh, he didn't know that one. And wow. I mean, assembling all this knowledge, um, you can draw ideas from uh, having this knowledge all together. You can say, hey, I combine this and this and this to a cool idea to implement a feature for a game. So I think, no, the limit has not been reached yet. It has never been reached on the C64, actually. Wow. Well, Boris Kretzinger and I are still waiting for Test Drive 3. <laughs> there you go. There's, there's, there's the next project. <laughs> See, uh, that's, that's just me. I like, I like racers. That's just me. <laughs> that's, that's another one. That, that, see, that's another one that the 64... I don't feel really got the hang of was was like the the test drive type of games because again you're using a joystick and it just it feels wrong to be driving a car with a joystick. Well, I have I have a, I have a flight. So uh, so dash. did I. So did I. But they're not. But they're they're digital, not analog. So it's like it's not a matter of like you turn the wheel and then you you turn slightly left. No, no, no. You turn the wheel and it's like like in a real car you're going all the way around. So there's no there's no subtlety subtlety to it at all. It's just just left or right or straight. That's what's what you're doing. But there was one games that actually supported an analog joystick on the C64 that was Refs. It was what? Refs is Refs. Refs. R E V S. Refs. That's Refs. Yeah. Yeah, well, this was By... kind of a Formula One simulation. Formula but, but... Three simulation. Formula right. Three. Three. Yeah, but and, more and a simulation the, than a racer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the original version, not not the plus one, the original version only worked with keyboard or analog joystick. Okay, but where yeah. do you get an analog joystick for this thing? Well, there were there were jo there were uh, two joysticks being released. Two, two, two for the C64. One for Flight Two, mm -hmm. actually originally on the Atari. And one by um, oh I I forgot I forgot the name um, Kings something I have to look at at it but there were two joysticks analog joysticks made for the C64 okay so that but that's you... even rarer than the super yeah, CPU right yeah <laughs> well you could have used pedals instead no yes the plus version. The plus version added a patch for pedals instead, right? Oh. And the digital joystick was supported too, suddenly. Because they figured but, nobody had an right, joystick yeah. and people hated the keyboard, yeah. So. Well, yeah, but to, 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 <laughs> to pick up uh, AJ's point, I mean, uh, even an analog stick is not really that realistic for right. driving a car. <laughs> like, <laughs> or pedals. Pedals, yeah. well, yeah. maybe pedals even more because they were could actually be turned right. fast and slow. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's weird feeling. Pedal is also something a lot of people have. Yeah. 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 But so you you've played games on the NES, also the Super Nintendo? Then you know Super Mario Kart, of course. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Who who doesn't know? And 
a friend of mine and I, we have discussed uh, racing games uh, for some time because he would love to see a racing game on the C64, but not necessarily because he would like to make one, but he would just like to see one (laughs) because uh, just like good platformers, um, there is a lack of good racing games. I mean, um, Yeah, there's but and I, there's a lot of there's a lack of games like Super Mario Kart on this. You you can find stuff like there's not one game that exactly. is like that on right. the 64. Right. I mean, you can so get stuff like go. like Pit Stop Two, where you're both going in one direction, but not something where you're kind of battling. Yeah. You know, here we go. We made we made we made Chester's new game, yeah. Super Mario Kart on the C64, and and with an option to look from the cockpit like on test drive. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Here, all the wishes combined. Mine, AJ's, your friends, all of us are happy. So this record is going through the cut, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, this recording is, yeah. No, um, <laughs> it's, it, the, the question is, when you think about races, uh, whether you make it a realistic racer like Test Drive 2 or whether you make it a cartoon thing like Super Mario Kart or, um, yeah, well, I think these are the the both ends of the story. Um, Realistic. I don't know, Grand Prix Circuit, we had Grand Prix Circuit um, 2, which was kind of a test drive in a racing suit. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And uh, I don't know what we, what did we have? What else do we have? I don't know. Cycles. Power Drift, of course, but... Yeah, cycles, which was the same engine like Circuit, uh, but with but with motorcycles, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. On Super Hang On would be another candidate, I think. Yeah. Uh, from these, yeah, and and we had games like Power Drift, but um, those didn't put the focus Stunt on real. Stunt Car Racer was also oh, Stunt one. Stunt Car Racer was a good one. I like that one. Okay, Stunt oh, yeah. Car Racer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Polygon <laughs> Racer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, the, the the good racer still needs to be done. But uh, if if someone would um, ask me what kind of racer I would like to play on the C64, I think it would not be the realistic racer. I think it would be more the um, the party fun racer. You know, but more make the, an option. Make an option. Do you want the realistic? Well, and, and um, that's and that's or, sort of also uh, how. Um, you know, as like I was saying, using a joystick or something to drive a car feels wrong. In in Super Mario Kart, it felt it didn't feel as wrong to use a gamepad for that because it was a cartoon. You know, it's not like you're expecting you're not expecting real world physics and using a wheel and all that stuff to to drive this stupid cart that you know that Bowser's sitting on or something. <laughs> nice. Yeah, of course. Or uh, launching bananas or red turtles on. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. You can, you can, your your mind can allow that conceit a little bit more than than test drive, where you're you're looking at the cockpit of a car and you're you know you're using a joystick to steer. It's just, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it feels like you're going back to the to 1905 when your car had a rudder to control. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So that that was that, that would be what I was asking for a racer. Or the other thing would be, but it would also be the arcade style. Um, there was a game called Destruction Derby. Um, this oh, yes. was a game for MS DOS. Um, oh, yes. This was kind of a yeah. It it kind of was some sort of Super Mario Kart battle mode, but in um, in an arena with up to eight cars, I think. 
And um, you don't steal yourself, uh, you don't steal um, um, balloons, were the balloons, the three balloons at Super Mario Kart, yeah? Yeah. Uh, yes. But uh, in Distraction Derby, it was kind of funny because um, you could so you could see how uh, the cars uh, were damaged. Meaning you um, <laughs> you uh, run into the others and um, the the mirrors uh, go off and the, the doors uh, open or fall off <laughs> and the cars get really damaged and uh, when your car is not able to drive anymore you're out and then it was last man standing and this was kind of fun yeah, yeah. but realism I think would be more the one player game. Whereas the arcade style would be the multiplayer party game, I think. Mm, anyway, I mean, I mean, we had once a live show about the RRNet racer. So technically, it's possible nowadays to make um, uh, internet games with the C64. It yeah, has been done then before. We are back to, then we are back to hardware requirements. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people have these Wi-Fi modems now. You know, it's easy enough to kind of tell next yeah. to someone. You know. It's... Yeah, I got four of them. AJ, <laughs> <laughs> your secret supplier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, gosh. Our own Nick Vivid sells one on at www. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of resources in our team at Scene World. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> right. So. Um, Yeah, and and we sh and we shouldn't forget. By the way, there are still a lot um, of games discovered. For example, games that weren't, you know. So um, who knows? Yeah, that's also something you could you could work on to completing an incomplete game. But but I guess you are more the guy who wants to make something from scratch. Completing someone else's incomplete game is not the most fun. Uh. <laughs> no, it's it's not. Um, I'm I'm also more the guy for original new games. Um, there are people who actually um, made it their mission to um, port popular games from the iOS platform or the Android platform to the C64 um, in a legal way, by the way, um, asking the uh, original property owners, uh, intellectual property owners, and stuff. And um, this is called the demake. Uh, scene uh, and there are some very good demakers actually but um, there, the, the challenge I think is not to create a game but to make a game possible on the C64 that has been published uh, somewhere else GTA that's, that's, that's I think is <laughs> I think that's pushing it a little bit <laughs> and Uh, if 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 people would ask me if I would, uh, as you said, uh, port GTA or uh, <laughs> uh, finish other people games, then I would say no. I have own ideas, mm -hmm. and um, I'm more the guy that tries to, yeah, uh, invent and implement own ideas. So that wouldn't be my job. Uh, okay. Hmm. Ah, but nevertheless, <laughs> uh, the Frank Gasking, I think, uh, the 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 maintainer of the games that weren't portal. Uh, over the last months, uh, there has always been the joke: um, if Sam's journey is an April Fool's joke or not. And uh, many people haven't believed for a very long time, actually, whether the game is real. Um, Because not everyone could uh, attend uh, the Gamescom exhibition in Cologne, Germany. Um, 
because uh, especially the NTSC guys uh, didn't hop over to just to see if it's real. Um, they had to believe. They had to keep the faith. Um, and yeah, the common joke was: uh, Is Tim's journey being made for Frank Gaskins' collection exclusively or not? <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. I didn't know that one. Okay. <laughs> I, it's the I same. always say, <laughs> I always said, uh, no, no, no. We are planning to release this game. Sorry, Frank. But it's the same with Metal Dust. People were also saying that's never coming out, and it did. Um, so, yeah. So I don't know whether it's a good sign that uh, people always think my game <laughs> will end up at Frank's, but. <laughs> <laughs> But but it's good to know that you are already in mind working on the next game. Yes, I am. Um, although it's not easy to decide on a project actually, because uh, Sam's Journey has been with us, uh, with us, the development team, for uh, some months now, uh, years even, and um, we are not just planning C64 games. So, um, to be honest, uh, I had, I didn't have the intention to make another CCC4 games after Sam's Journey. Um, we planned to um, make this platformer for the C64 because it's the machine where we all started with, and um, it would be, it, it would have been the fulfillment of a dream to make a console-style platformer for the C64. But Game Boy release. On me? Game Boy release. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we, are, we, we aren't the shades of gray types of guy, you know? <laughs> Only screen. No. It was screen. Um, it was screen. Not like Game Boy Advance, you have some color. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. actually, if you ask me about game consoles, I would I would uh, even think of uh, porting Sam to uh, consoles like the NES or the Super Nintendo. Yes, um, you hinted this a lot of times, actually, the NES. Mm. Yeah, I have, uh, and this may be an interesting point, uh, uh, because I have um, the development of NES games in mind for a very long time now, um, I have provided myself with the necessary testing hardware. I have uh, the NTSC versions of uh, both the NES and the SNES already here. Um, wasn't always easy because there are things like the customs <laughs> who ask me a lot of questions about. Oh, ask me about. <laughs> ask me about. <laughs> yeah, but um, if if I uh, decide to, or um, well, after this experience, I would start with NTSC first and then make the PAL port. This. Um, is maybe a nice thing to hear for the folk over there <laughs> overseas um, because learned. it's yeah, yeah the, the, the direction is more easy this way of course and um, I think the communities uh, for the NES and the N SNES are actually larger in the US than they are here in Europe and the home rule scene is very vivid and active there uh, from what I read and see and yeah, well, this is, I, I should start NTSC. I should do NTSC first, you know? Wow. Wow. <laughs> and um, thinking of another C64 game, um, 
the success of Sam's journey, and it has been a success, it has been even a surprising success because, um, okay, we knew the game is going to be good, but we didn't know <laughs> or we haven't even expected um, this great interest uh, in this game. So this is why my distribution partner, um, I'm always joking about Jacob at ProDivision, who has at this time, I don't know, several hundred empty boxes in his <laughs> in his room they are stacked uh, under the ceiling you know up to uh, every free slot in his house is uh, currently <laughs> filled with sam's journey related stuff um and there is not even the boxes there's also the stuff in the boxes you know um there are gimmicks there is the printed manual and stuff and all this i mean his wife was very annoyed um <laughs> <laughs> because uh yeah and this stuff has to be shipped out so that things are good again and uh taking this success into account may make us reconsider the decision not making another c64 game but yeah. it will not be a direct successor i can promise because it may <laughs> we may need a break of platformers yeah uh okay i see i see yeah, it's it just um, well. If you make another, if you make another kicker on the C sixty four, poor Jacob, for <laughs> stripping it out again. <laughs> yeah. Someone's got to do the dirty work. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean. Uh, recently, we have a lot of um, a lot of surprising successes. See, for example, uh, Planet X two by the Eight Bit Guys. Who is the first game that is a real-time strategy game? That's also something people said it's impossible on the C64, and he made it possible. So, um, 2017 has has been the year where a lot of games were released seen impossible before. It has been a big year for game production on the 64 in general. I feel like there's just been a lot of stuff that has yeah. come out and has done really, you know, has come out successfully that you haven't seen in a long time. And I think it's just a lot of the tools are now there where it, back, at, you know, in in the past, you'd have to write a game, get it published, and then you'd have to, you know, invest in all these, you know, in, in all the printed units and all that stuff. But now you can yeah. pretty much make them to order. So it's not an issue where you have to invest all this money before you can do anything else. You can have the game and sell it and, uh, again, you know, build them to order and send them out and, there's not as much of a risk and there's more benefit to the creators. Right. And you can even reduce risk uh, using things like crowdfunding. Right. For example, yeah. Kickstarter, uh -huh. Indiegogo. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Right. And this is uh, actually a good thing. Uh, one, you said I had many breaks in my game development. This is not quite true. I had many games, uh, breaks in my CCC4 game development, actually. Uh, ah, okay. Because, of course, we, my team and I, we were making games. Um, app games for um, feature phones uh, for for some years and um but the interesting thing is uh the, the iphone and the android um opened the market for masses masses of developers uh, appeared on stage everything's doing the same stuff we have 10,000 flashlight apps <laughs> we have uh, thousands of angry birds and flappy birds uh, clones and uh, you know the the prices for apps dropped down to the basement and below um you can't 
even make money anymore if you don't provide the next big thing because there are so many people who can well actually um, assemble an app uh, with tools actually you don't even have to <laughs> learn uh, something you can uh, just assemble them point and click and there are it's it's just too much. You can't stand out with your stuff anymore. And um, that's why we um, stopped making games for cell phone games. And um, well, and then suddenly, all of a sudden, um, I recognized this growing general interest in retro gaming or what we call retro gaming. Um, it's not really retro gaming what we are doing. I think the term is quite misleading. I mean, we aren't playing the old games. We are longing for new games. They are just running on old hardware. This That's the retro aspect in it. But um, we still Good love point. the machine, but um, we wouldn't want to not get new stuff for it, I think. Right. Uh, this, this is what I've been saying. You know, I don't like the whole idea of retro gaming because because a game is a good game. De you know, dependent on the game. It doesn't matter what platform it runs on. Super Mario Brothers 3 is a good game. And the fact that it's on the, on the NES is irrelevant. It's just, it's just a yes. good game. It is. And it will always be. <laughs> right. And, and, and I think there's a lot of misconception that a lot of people think that, you know, you need the, 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 you know, the most powerful machines with the, the greatest graphics capability and, and all that stuff to have a good game. And that's where things kind of went for a while. And now people are starting to realize that that doesn't really necessarily make a good game. A good game is a game that is playable. It doesn't matter what the graphics are. It doesn't matter what platform it runs on. It's it's just the game itself. Just as Jessa mentioned, Donkey Kong Country, mm -hmm. it people were really surpri uh, surprised that it actually worked, despite the very limitations, on the Game Boy as well. Mm -hmm. Because it was first released on the Super Nintendo and right. released on the Game Boy afterwards and it's surprising for many people that it's actually being as fun as on the Super NES yeah so you see it's not about the platform it's about the game yeah. and, and I'm pretty uh, sure SM's Journey would be good on a Game Boy just because it's a good game you know even if it had less colors it would still be a fun game you know yeah that's what some people actually told us in in comments um, that it's not just a good C64 game, but it's a good game. This is actually a, a very nice compliment to hear because, yeah, um, we aren't we are not making C64 games. We are making games. The C64 is, is just a yeah. What is it? It's it's the connecting thing between us and the players uh, in a way. Um, the C64 community is um, using this machine. Other communities use other machines, and it's just the yeah, mm -hmm. the thing how we reach our players. Um, there are there aren't so many um, players. Um, okay, there there are two kind of players. Uh, one kind of uh, players have all available hardware in their house. Uh, I mean, they, they don't really care if Nintendo or Sega or uh, NEC uh, PC Engine stuff or whatever. They have everything. And if there is a game, they have to look, oh, what machine do I need? Okay. <laughs> right. And uh, here we go. And then there are the platform fans who who just say, I'm a C64 fan. I'm interested in everything that's C64. And um, if there is a good game for Nintendo, 
then I say, people, please make a port. <laughs> so um, hearing hearing you saying that means the next thing will be an NES game. Or, or you I can just jump to conclusions. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, even... Even if I wanted to, uh, that it, it has not been decided. But an NES game is an option, yes. I have already the hardware here. And um, when I was actually playing NES games back then, um, I've always uh, wanted to make one myself. But back at that time, it just hadn't been possible because, you know, um, home computers were the, open, the only open platform. Um, all consoles were strictly closed. Um, restricted to developers only and you have to um, I, I don't know to get a Nintendo developer license uh, you have to fulfill a huge list of requirements um, that yeah a young guy <laughs> hobbyist <laughs> would never be able to fulfill so um, I just waited 20 years so <laughs> I can get back to the NES and yeah. make a game Actually, interesting because Trominal released his Game Boy, um, his Game Boy album, on a Game Boy cartridge, and he actually got the permission and the license from Nintendo to do it. They are pretty much open for that nowadays. Well, nowadays. If you ask the right, yeah. if you ask the right people. Yeah. Mm, okay. This, I did not, I did not know that actually. So oh, that means his his Game Boy. Uh, music album has got a Nintendo quality seal on it? No, 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 that not. He had to write in the manual it's not an official Nintendo product, but he asks them if he is allowed to, and he said, they said yes. All right. And, yeah. That's basically bypassing the um, copy protection and region code protection that you have to do if you want to run own software on the devices. And but with this permission is... of Nintendo, that's the difference. Yeah. This yeah. is interesting. <laughs> so um, yeah, I don't know how they feel about NES games compared to Game Boy music album, but I found it interesting that they would say yes, Terminal, you are allowed to do it. You know, I'm I'm sure but, at this point they wouldn't mind too much because it's not like they produce the system anymore, and all it does is give them good publicity to see new games coming out for something that they made years ago. I'm not very sure if I would agree on that because they just released the NES Mini and so they are pretty much aware of the uh, nostalgic factor of uh, this uh, thing. And there was this thing called Virtual Console, I think, in the in the Wii store where you could buy classics. Right, and, but nothing um, where you can just plug a cartridge into it. It's just a... It's they, right, of course. Hmm. Uh, but I think the... the What are they? Uh, the, the, the patents uh, um, have expired uh, yes. concerning the NES. So yes. um, you you can uh, today um, reconstruct and re-engineer these chips without breaking any laws. Mm. This helps. I think it's one or two years to go f <laughs> um, for the Super Nintendo uh, for the patents to expire there too. But um, well, I'm with you that Nintendo doesn't really care anymore about that. Except if you sell 50,000 units, then they may have yeah, another look. Yeah. <laughs> Trominal made a limit of 50, so it was a small batch. So he wasn't much of a threat, yeah. <laughs> well, it was keen of him to ask, and he told me, no, I didn't want it to do it behind the backs of Nintendo. Right. This, is, this is interesting, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm one of oh, the few people I... who have it. <laughs> yeah. I would like to ask AJ mm -hmm, because sure. he is actually an NTSC player. And uh, do you have also a PAL machine? I do not. Available. You do not. Yeah. But uh, are you aware of the um, difference in gaming speeds? That I am. I, I'm aware that there is a difference in gaming speeds. Um, having not played the PAL version, um, I don't. It doesn't seem fast to me. So it, it's not so, like it's it's not like I'm like, damn, this is this is way too fast. It's it's. So when you were playing Sam's Journey, it was a an okay speed for you. Absolutely. It's very interesting because when uh, I, I mean, I, I even have an NTSC 64 here to test my game. And uh, when I tested the NTSC version of Sense Journey, I was, oh, this is really, really interesting. But uh, on the other hand, um, after testing the NTSC version for a while, going back to the PAL version was kind of a, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Go faster! <laughs> 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 yes, I think you you really get used to anything. It's yeah. just a question of time. Right, right. Yeah. Well, the the biggest the biggest change that I see between a lot of PAL and NTSC games because I've played I've played games that are PAL games and I played them on the NTSC and never realized you know being a kid that they were actually supposed to go slower than that. But the one thing that I always did notice was that um, anything that's a circle on the screen is always elongated because. Because we've got <laughs> yeah. the stupid pixels, you know, the pixels are the wrong size in NTSC land. So, so everything is the aspect ratio isn't quite right. That's I notice that sort of thing more than I notice any speed difference. And, and music, of course, oh. when I hear the PAL version, I'm like, come on, pick it up. <laughs> but how can you how can you say the NTSC pixels are the wrong ones? Because I mean, uh, <laughs> the machine has been invented. Uh, in the NTC land, and so they are the right pixels. Aren't well, they? yeah, well, yeah, I suppose most of the games, though, when you when you see the graphics, they're they're wrong. They're, they're shaped oddly. Everything's a little oblong because because a lot of times they're most of the time it's written on a or it's drawn on a PAL machine. So the fact that when I actually do graphics now, I put it in uh, in um, what is that? Um, like the widescreen, because that fixes the aspect ratio a bit. Yeah. <laughs> because because I'm cognizant of the fact that if I do graphics on the thing, most of the people that are going to be looking at it are probably in. I'll probably pal, and I don't want my yeah. graphics to look bizarre to them. So you draw on them the pal style. Yes. Yeah, I see. <laughs> well, that, that and the fact that I did some I did some graphics on an emulator. And they looked really good. And then I put them on my actual machine. And I'm like, whoa, what the hell happened? And I realized that because I'm using the emulator in PAL mode and my machine is NTSE. So I'm like, no, that's not – I have to fix that because now it looks totally uh, wrong. And uh, I can't I can't function yeah. with that anymore. So. But, but did you fix the music playing routine for NTSC? What kind of question is that? Of course I did. <laughs> I mean <laughs> – the music. So, so, uh, okay. <laughs> I even I even fixed the pitch table so that the oh. notes are at the uh, same frequency. And that is oh, what most go. people don't. Yeah. And that is why the NTSC version of Turbo Outrun sounds so awful. It does. I don't note it. <laughs> it's it sounds so awful. Shake the street, which is the first 
Kurs One music by uh, Yeruntel. It sounds so awful on the NTSC fixed version because the pitch isn't fixed, but the speed is. It's the instruments are so bad. Like, oh. <laughs> well, the, the problem is like all times. Uh, you you have many options. You can uh, recompose the music completely for the same for the NTSC playback rate so that it uh, has um, the right real speed or you can just uh, call it more often or less often um, to make it the right speed on playback and because many programs on home computers are synchronized to the um, frame rate uh, in Sam's journey I um, decoupled um, the music playback from the frame rate, so I won't even run into this problem. Uh. Um, but this is maybe because um, even though Sam's journey hasn't been planned for NTSC in the first place, um, <laughs> I kind of know this kind of stuff from my experience with NES and uh, Super Nintendo, where the problem, I mean, this problem has always been there, and you, the scene world guys, try to um, you try to bring Parlin and NTC together. Uh, this is your mission, I think. But yes. uh, technically, you just cannot <laughs> bring them together because they are actually so far away. <laughs> I mean, AJ mentioned the graphics. This is one thing. It's not just even the pixel size. We are talking about color palettes. Never yeah. the same color in TSC. Yeah, yeah. There, there is, there is a similar uh, joke for Pal, which I don't know at the moment, but. Uh, I mean, it, it, the NTSC PAL problem uh, on the now retro platforms is uh, does still exist. It's not gone. Um, it's, I, it's, I know where it's written. It's written in Wikipedia. It, it's it's. I think the NTSC thing is less of an issue now because a lot of video formats don't care and and. A lot of games on, on modern platforms are independent of that. Actually, the saying is, actually the saying is, I'm just reading it. Never twice the same color. Oh, okay. NTSC. Yeah. Yeah. Close enough. And there is a similar um, thing for PAL too, because uh, yeah, well, that's the way it is. <laughs> My system is right, yours is wrong, you know. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, why why uh, modern games don't care is because of the vast amount of uh, processor power you can just right. uh, simulate your your world in uh, in more than 100 times a second uh, then uh, there's even pictures drawn on the screen so the picture drawing is in the meantime you just get more pictures but the um, progress in the world is actually timed by other aspects but on the home computer and in the video consoles, it's the only synchronizing thing you got. So, uh, I mean, games like Super Mario Brothers 3, interestingly, um, the scrolling stutters on a PAL system. The, the scrolling is perfectly smooth on NTSC, but I didn't know that um, for a very long time. Um, I've just, on my, <laughs> on my newly bought uh, NTSC NES, uh, I have experienced Super Mario smoothly for a very first time. Um, Nintendo adapted the gameplay so that it's equally fast on both systems. 
but you can't achieve it um, without uh, sacrificing on the smoothness. Um, so the PAL version stutters. And that is why you didn't do the same thing with Sam's journey. Uh, that would have been a choice. Um, you could just drop frames. And we tested that. And it was so awful that we dropped it immediately. Um, the other thing would have been um, taking the CJ road. Um, many NTC games, or, uh, I know of uh, games like CJ and New Zealand Story and Nobby the Artfuck, I mentioned them before. Um, they use a special kind of scrolling where they um, update the, f the picture only every second frame. So they aren't smooth. They are kind of, um, I don't know how to um, describe it, but um, update every second frame is on PAL um, every uh, as a 25 pictures per second. This is very little. Mm. Um, on NTSC, I learned uh, it's um, 30 pictures. This is not as bad as the 25 on PAL. Um, many NTSC games solved the problem um, using this kind of scrolling. But mm. in Sam's journey, this wouldn't have worked because um, Sam is a, quite an agile character, fast, jumping uh, high and uh, falling fast. And um, this, this scrolling, this type of scrolling with every second frame um, would have slowed down the, the gameplay entirely. And this we didn't want. We didn't want to sacrifice the intended experience um, when making NTSC. And that's why we opted for the hardware requirement. <laughs> Interesting. And and more uh, faster fingers for the NTSC guys. Yeah. It just benefits us when we get to tournaments because we'll naturally be faster. Just like when we were playing that, that racing game online and all the NTSC guys were winning because they're going faster than the PAL. Yeah, yeah, I was the exactly. losing one. Yeah. Yeah. There's only there's only so fast you can go. If this is one thing. Uh, if there will be any, uh, if there will ever be uh, things like a speed run on Sam's journey, uh, then you have to distinguish between PAL and NTSC um, when comparing your times, mm. <laughs> because uh, as AJ said, uh, you are actually in real time measured in seconds. Um, you can be faster on the NTSC machine, of course easier to win the game um i guess i guess the most famous example here in europe would be summer games the intro anthem we would always remind them too slow it, it was and too slow regardless of where you were <laughs> okay <laughs> winter games at least you could skip it you hit the button it would go away summer games that made you watch that whole stupid intro sequence they were they were real proud of that running guy animation <laughs> Yeah, they're like we're making everybody watch this. And obviously, the European pigeons are yeah. even slower. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, fun. fun. Um, uh, an interesting thing, by the way, of about them journey is you you have you have checkpoints and you don't die and restart fr the level from the beginning all the time which is why i got pretty fast despite i'm a bad player <laughs> that made me very happy thank you for that yeah, if it makes you happy then we did the right thing <laughs> um actually uh, i'm 
the kind of player who really hated it back then, um, oh, playing okay. the first levels of a game a thousand times and um, the last levels maybe never <laughs> yeah. because you always have to restart the game and uh, I mean yeah. limiting the lives was an idea uh, that was to make people insert coins into a machine you know and uh, I have never understood why there have still been the concept of limited lives on the home computer because um, Well, I was playing Genesis 2, of course, and um, <laughs> uh, I died in level 17, and uh, I had to replay 17 levels uh, just to see the 18th level, and I really hated that. That's why we got trainers. But and this then is again, why they why sold so much action, action replays. Yes. Yeah. Why, why would you <laughs> implement a limited lives concept and then implement a trainer to uh, <laughs> uh, get around it? Why not dropping this entirely? And also the checkpoint concept um, brought us the option. It, it adds a game design option. You can make a really tricky passage in Sam's journey, a really tricky passage. And um, at the front and immediately after this tricky package, um, we put a flag. Yeah. So we can set up um, a tiny little challenge within a level. And uh, if you made it, you raise the flag and you're done. You never have to do this again. And um, if you have huge levels without checkpoints, um, you would have to replay the entire levels. This can be quite tedious too. That's yeah, true. and saving the whole progress um, on disk or on cartridge. Um, yeah, this adds up to it. I mean, Sam's Journey is not a game like Jaina where you say, hey, uh, today I feel like <laughs> playing Genesis, which always means um, play through. Um, this won't happen with Sam's Journey because it's more Super Mario 3 than Super Mario 1. This is why I always loved the freezing function of the action replay. Like, wow, now I can actually pause games oh, yeah. and replace them later. Wow. A Super Mario 3, by the way, did not have a safe option. And if I should mention a flaw of this game that would be it yeah yeah you need to take a break or, or take a nap or something you're leaving the system on all night <laughs> or you well, know uh, you find the flutes yeah <laughs> <laughs> so where can people What? go to find out more about this yeah. and get the game and all that fun stuff the game has been developed by my team called Knights of Bytes but we are distributing we have the game distributed by our partner Pro Protovision And um, this is a German-based retro game publisher specialized on C64 games. And you know, we are working with them for some time now. Ice Guys, Bormania, Metalus, <laughs> etc. And uh, yeah, they have a website uh, with a web shop. Um, I think www.prodovision.games is the address to go. And yeah, you know, there you will find yeah you know, multiple options: getting the game in a fancy cardboard box, or as a download if you can't wait. And there is a second option: Ichio actually has a Windows Excel release. Do if they? You don't want Interesting. To use, yes, if you don't want to use an emulator and figure out how a C64 works on an emulator. 
you can get uh, the Itch.io version with the uh, Windows Axie. Uh, and there's even a Mac. Uh, no, no. There's even um, um, a Linux, a Linux um, binary. You can you can uh, download from there if you buy the game. So yeah. Well, I think the HIO version is um, the option also for people who do not have PayPal or only PayPal. I'm not sure. There, there was a problem with the uh, download version in the Protovision store for a certain. Um, um, part of customers. Uh, so there are two download options, yes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And one you can pay by wire, I think, and the other one accepts PayPal and yeah. Exactly, it's yes. Always one that works for you, I think. Yeah, it's pretty good. And maybe on the NS, <laughs> as we now heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Never say never. Yeah. Good. And I'm still waiting for my test drive three. Now I know who I can oh, push boy. to make one. <laughs> okay, but but you are more the fundraiser guy, so hmm. I, I would also opt for a Super Mario Kart on the on the C64. I'm okay with that as well. Um yeah, so this was a very fun interview. I hoped you enjoyed it also. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. No so problem. Taking the time to sit with us. Um, so, so is there anything you want us to omit from the release, or can we use all the material? Oh, uh, let me think about. Uh, I'm not doing a racing game next. Just, just to make this clear, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay great <clears throat> right that was nice talking to you both yes. of you thank and, you talking uh, to you thank yeah. you for taking the time to sit looking with us. forward yeah looking forward to the broadcast or what we will call it the release of yes. the uh, oh yes me calling too. <laughs> <laughs> okay alrighty alrighty so, so have a nice day evening night whatever you too <laughs> bye 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 then and that was Chester Colchin uh, you can check out Sam's Journey it's at www.prodivision.games um, you can also it's on itch.io prodivision.itch.io slash Sam's dash journey uh, you can see other things that he's doing at knightsofbytes.games and uh, yeah links to all this in the podcast description so you can go to it easily you know where to find us, so I'm not going to tell it to you. Until next time, see ya.